earlier in the retreat, Joseph spoke about the obstacles to concentration, commonly known as the hindrances, sleepiness, restlessness, doubt, desire, anger. And later, Sharon talked about concentration and the different <coughs> degrees of absorption and the different degrees of the unification of mind that one could obtain when they develop jhanas. The Buddha describes first jhana. He says, free from sense desires and improper mental contents, the yogi enters and remains in the first jhana, a subtle state of joy and happiness, born of seclusion with applied and sustained application of mind. How do we connect what Joseph was talking about, the hindrances, and which we all experience, sleepiness and restlessness, how do we connect that with this subtle state of joy and happiness? The five hindrances or the five obstacles that Joseph talked about are mental factors, factors that habitually arise in the mind. There are five other mental factors which directly oppose those five hindrances. The five opposing mental factors are called the jhana factors. So tonight I want to talk about those factors, the jhana factors, that directly oppose the five hindrances. The first hindrance, you remember, was one that we're all familiar with, is tinamida, or sleepiness, laziness, lack of energy. It's a paralysis of the consciousness. It just doesn't want to do anything. It's very sluggish, doesn't move. There's no vitality in the mind that is overcome with sloth and torpor or with sleepiness. Or sometimes it's not so obvious as bobbing and nodding and nearly passing out. Sometimes it's just boredom. Just kind of don't want to really do anything. Don't want to sit anymore. Don't want to walk. Just don't want to pay attention. This is also a form of tinamida sleepiness, laziness. It's said that torpor actually smothers all of the other functions in the mind. When torpor arises in the mind, it covers up any other factor that's present so that you only become aware of and directly under the influence of torpor. The yogi can experience it or not. You should tell me how you experience it. In fact, you do in, when you come to report, but I'll remind you. Sometimes when you feel real woolly-headed, you just can't quite get it together to really look at anything. Or you feel just dull, or you feel somehow mm, drained or exhausted or overexposed in some way that you just can't, just don't want to look anymore. Sometimes it's real obvious the person next to you is just about rubbing their nose on the floor with bobbing and nodding. This is a very obvious sloth and torpor. Joseph spoke of many ways to arouse energy and to counteract the effects of sloth and torpor, but I won't go over them. I'll just mention tonight the jhana factor that opposes it and how it does so. The first jhana factor, as you might guess, is also a spiritual vitamin. It's vitaka, 
it's that initial application of the mind to the meditation object. It's turning the mind towards the object and then sending the mind to the object when it arises. It's trying to hit the object with the mind. Those of you who are watching rising and falling in the abdomen, it's sending the mind to that part of the body and being ready for the rising when it begins. If you send your mind anywhere else in the body, you're not going to find the rising. You might find something else, but not the rising. Or if you don't send your mind anywhere, you also won't find the rising. So you have to turn your mind towards the area of the object so that you can catch it when it begins. Those of you who are doing metta practice, you have to incline your mind towards the feeling of metta and the person or group to whom you're sending metta. You have to keep this in your mind so that you can pervade and send your feelings of metta towards that person or group. Not only one time do you have to do this, you have to continually do it throughout the whole period of meditation, which for us is from the time we get up to the time we go to bed. There's some object arising somewhere in the mind or the body. So we have to continually, every second or every two seconds or whenever it is, we have to send the mind, we have to turn the mind, keep the mind turned towards the primary object or the secondary objects if they're predominant. In the walking meditation, it's keeping your mind focused on the leg from the hip to the sole of the foot as you walk not outside of the body looking at the trees or other people or any place else in the body, but just on the primary object, trying to observe what happens there. It's as if you have an object and you lift the mind and place it onto the object or you have an object and you actually hit it with the mind. This is vitaka. The initial application It's the intention to observe a particular object. When you can successfully arouse this factor of mind, it really opens up the mind, it freshens the mind, it brings some energy, some vitality to the mind. And in that way, of course, it directly opposes the sluggishness, the sleepiness, the darkness and dullness of Tinamita. When you arouse Vitaka, it lightens up, it brightens up, it refreshes the mind. The example is given. It's the initial movement towards the object like when a bee is flying around and it smells a flower, it immediately turns to that flower and heads towards it. It goes there. Or it's like a bird, a big one of these big hawks that sits in a tree, and when it's about to take off and fly, it gives some sort of jump and spreads its wing. It's that initial oomph to get going. And we need it in meditation. We need a lot of oomphs. It's remembering to observe the object. Remembering that you're doing something here. We're not just kind of sitting waiting for the bell to ring. Or, well, maybe we are just sitting waiting for the bell to ring. But if we are, we should be noting, waiting, waiting. That would be the object in that case. So it has to be precise. You have to aim precisely to the object, and it has to be continuous. 
It has to be every second. If the object changes, if the rising and falling or in and out is not observable, there is another object somewhere in the body or mind. That's the object that you want to then turn your attention to. (coughs) To develop this vitaka or this initial application of mind, you have to want to do it. You have to have some desire. You'll remember that desire was also a spiritual vitamin. It's not one of the jhana factors because it doesn't directly oppose the hindrance. But it does, it is necessary, the desire and the energy is necessary to arouse and to actually generate vitaka, this initial application of mind. You can see that when it's aroused and when you are trying and energized and consistently aiming your mind and sending your mind towards the object, you can't be sleepy. Sleepiness is just the opposite of that. And when you do arouse vitaka, the mind becomes light and bright, quite buoyant, kind of pliable. It can do what you want it to do when Vritaka is developed, maybe not the first time, but with a little practice, you begin to see what a mind with energy feels like. It can do things, it can go there, it can be ready, it can observe. So to develop Vritaka, one has to be persistent in trying to observe or sending the mind to the primary or the secondary object, no matter which meditation, whether it's rising, falling, in, out, metta, or walking. So this is the first vitaka, the initial application of mind. The second hindrance you remember, is doubt. It's uncertainty. Some sort of confusion or unclarity in the mind. A wavering in the mind. Not being quite sure what the object is. You've kind of sent your mind to the area of the object, but can't quite see it. Don't know exactly what it is. Get a vague or a fuzzy picture or a fuzzy image of the object. This is doubt operating. It's actually a degree of delusion because it clouds the mind and the mind is indecisive, cannot see clear enough to know whether the rising is pressure or tightness or is it vibration or is it heat? What is it? Can't quite There's something there, you're sure of that, but not so sure that you can actually decide what it is, clearly. This is doubt in the mind. It's as if the mind goes to the area of the object, maybe gets to the object, but doesn't stick. It just kind of glances off the object, or doesn't quite touch it. Or if it touches it, it just barely reaches it. It doesn't really get into the object. Doubt, when it enters the mind, can really undermine your practice, because you can begin to doubt whether you're doing the practice correctly, whether the teacher's teaching you correctly, whether the practice, even though you think you're doing it correctly, is going to work or not. And it's kind of just takes away all your initiative to keep going because you're not getting the results of seeing anything clearly. So it can really be a major, in fact, it is one of the major hindrances to continuing with practice 
It's like someone, is, I think one of someone mentioned it, it's like when you're traveling or a traveler who comes to a crossroads in a strange land and he just doesn't know which way to go. Just cannot make up his mind. He doesn't have any clue. It's that degree of indecision in the mind. Gets to an object, can't decide what it is. The second factor of jhana, or the second mental factor, which opposes that, is called vichara. It's variously called the sustaining power of mind, or it's the investigation of the mind. It's sustaining the mind in one place for the duration of the object. Vitaka gets you there and touches the object. Vichara holds you on the object, sticks you to the object for the entire length of it, holds you right there, doesn't let you slip off. It's as if the mind is pressing against the object, not just touching it, but pressing against it for a period of time. Not just a quick glance, but a steady being with the object. It's an anchoring of the mind in the object. When you throw an anchor overboard on a ship or a boat, it goes to the bottom and stays there. So you put your mind on the object, you anchor it on the object so that it doesn't move. In that way, you begin to see the object clearly, the whole object from the beginning of it to the end. It has the characteristic of examining the object or investigating what the specific nature or the specific characteristic of the object is. Another way of describing it, it is as if you rub your mind into the object. If you want to shine this bowl and you just put the cloth with the metal polish on it, it's not going to come clean. You have to rub the cloth over the bowl to make it shiny. You have to rub your mind into and over and on and around the object to brighten up your mind. When you can reach the object with vitaka, and you rub your mind into it with vichara, you come to know what the individual and the unique characteristic of that object is. That knowing is the beginning of wisdom. It's clear knowing. It's knowing accurately. And this is the, the seed of the, all of the wisdom or all of the knowledge that you'll gain in meditation. It's knowing the individual characteristic of each and every object as and when it arises continuously. Just that will reveal everything you need to know. I mentioned that Vitaka is the bee turning in changing its direction and going towards the flower that it smells. When it gets to the flower, it buzzes around and buzzes and goes inside and does what it does, I don't know. This is like Vichara. Vitaka is getting there and buzzing around and being with the flower and finding out where the stuff is, is Vichara. Or when the bird takes off and it spreads its wings, Vitaka is when it makes the oomph, spreads its wings. Vichara is when it just holds its wing out 
and glides to wherever it wants to go. It has to keep holding them out to get there. If it folds its wings back up, if your mind doesn't stay on the object, you don't get there. So you have to get there and then rub your mind, hold your mind, stick your mind onto the object for the entire length of it. You know, the rising, to use rising as an example, is maybe more than a second, maybe two, maybe sometimes longer, two seconds long. If you just take a glance at the rising process, that takes about a split second. What do you do with the rest of the time? Wander. So you, vitaka alone is not enough. You have to have vichara, you have to develop vichara to rub the mind, to hold the mind on that rising process from where it begins, where and when it begins, to where and when it ends. If you just take a glance at the object, you'll just maybe barely get there and then bounce off or just glance off, skim the edge of the object, not really see the whole thing. The mind is rather weak at that point. The energy is rather weak and a little unsteady, not able to stay steadily on the object for its duration. Sometimes we can also avoid the object by kind of taking a panoramic view of the object where we just kind of mm, not really focus. We get there, but we're just kind of taking it all in along with everything else. So we kind of get that object along with a bunch of other objects. This is not specific enough. It's not precise enough and it's not directly in contact with the one object that we want to get. So you need to develop the vichara to stick to the precise primary object that you want. Just to show you what vichara is like, take your left hand and make a fist. Take your right hand and just gently place it on the fist. Not moving, just gently. Okay, now that's knowing the fist. That's vitaka. If you just kind of rub your hand over your fist, you get a much greater detail in a sense of what it is you're hanging on to. You can feel all the knuckles, the hand, the skin, the smoothness and whatnot. This is vichara. It's staying and rubbing in its direct contact with the object. Vichaka is just touching. Vichara is rubbing. These are the first two mental factors for the first two jhana factors. <clears throat> they work together. Vitaka is the forerunner of vichara. You can't have vichara. If you don't get there, you can't rub your mind into the object. So, vitaka is the forerunner of vichara. You have to initially apply your mind, and secondly, you have to sustain your mind on the object. It's as if the left hand would hold a pot that you were going to clean, and the right hand would rub it. This is vitaka in vichara, in operation. When you develop both vitaka and vichara and you get such close contact with the object, then you come to know it. You gather some wisdom, some knowledge which is actually wisdom. If you can continuously develop vitaka vichara persistently each moment, there won't be any opportunity for hindrances or kilesas or defilements or negativity of any sort to enter the mind. There's just no room because you're on the object for its entire length. When it ends, another object arises and you're on it for its entire length. 
and that continues like that, how and where can any defilements or hindrances arise? Can't. If you can continuously develop the vitaka vichara, the hindrances will be banished. When the hindrances leave the mind, it's the mind is actually secluded from the disturbances of the hindrances. That seclusion allows the mind and the body to become tranquil, to quiet down, to get present. It's not stirred up by anger and desire and restlessness, because there's no room for them. You're right on the object as and when it arises continuously, persistently. So the disturbances of the hindrances leaves the mind, and the mind becomes tranquil. When you're doing metta, you have to hold the attention on the person and hold the feeling of metta for the entire length of the pervasion. You know, may all beings be free of harm and danger. Be present with the whole of it as you repeat that phrase and other phrases, not just kind of a glance at some object, the person or the group that you're sending it to. Vitaka and Vichara are the first two, and they're the most important. They're the essential, and they're the ones that you can actually generate by having the desire and the energy. The remaining three, or the other three jhana factors, directly result from the successful arousing of Vitaka and Vichara. You don't try to arouse the remaining three. They arise automatically if Vitaka and Vichara are developed. So the instructions that you're given are basically, or essentially, completely only to develop Vitaka Vichara. Aim your mind, sustain your mind. That's Vitaka and Vichara. That's the instruction. The third hindrance, the third obstacle to concentration, is dosa, or anger. It's aversion. It's not wanting to experience the object, whatever it is. If it's pain, it's not wanting to look. If it's thinking, it's not wanting to look at that. Whatever it is, it's wanting to be away from the object. Depression, negativity, judgment, these are also not wanting to be with what you are experiencing. And the dosa or the aversion manifests as, I don't like it, I'm not doing well, I wish you would go away, I want something else, time for tea. Whatever it is, it's running away from whatever you're experiencing or whatever you'd experience if you stayed present. Impatience with yourself, with your practice, with other yogis, with the teachers, with the weather, with the food, with your body, with your mind. Impatience is also aversion. Not being able to just be with whatever's there. Your body as it is, the food as it is, the teachers as they are, the yogis as they are. If you can't handle it, it's aversion. Fear is also aversion. We get a glimpse of something arising in the body or the mind, pain or discomfort or something frightening, and we just don't want to look. It's like, you know, the body just tightens up and the mind just goes dark. Can't generate the brightness that is needed to see the object. This is fear, also aversion. Sometimes we manifest our aversion by noting so loudly that it drives the object or it covers up the object. You know, pain, 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 or whatever you... No pain, but lots of good noting, huh? I'm sorry, 
Really what you should be noting is dosa, 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 dosa. <clears throat> or not liking, not liking, unpleasant, unpleasant, whatever. However you experience it, some people will experience it as fear, some will experience it as unpleasant, some will experience it as pain, disliking. Put the label on the experience as you observe it with Vitaka Vichara. It's as if the mind gets singed by that object in some way. It just shrinks, it just kind of crinkles right away from the object. It just won't look at it. It actually, a mind with dosa or aversion in it, gets very rough and kind of aggressive, just kind of bullying its way around, not sensitive to the object just not wanting to just gently be with it, but kind of bullying around and trying to get away from it, actually. The third jhana factor, the third mental factor, that directly opposes dosa is joy. Piti, it's called in Pali. You don't have to try to arouse joy. As you know, the objects are pretty joyless. But if you can develop the vitaka vichara and actually continuously, precisely, and sustainedly observe the objects, the mind gets freshened, lightened, buoyant, pliant, and it takes delight in observing the object. It finds some satisfaction just being with the object, just that boring old rising falling. The mind actually likes it. When you're in touch with it continuously, it gets happy, it gets satisfied, it realizes that it's in touch. It's a real zest, the joy or this PT is a real zest, a real interest in what you're doing or in observing the objects, whatever they are. <clears throat> The mind is wholly absorbed, it's enwrapped. Rapture is another name for piti. The mind gets enwrapped or wholly absorbed in the object and finds great delight and satisfaction just being with it, whatever it is. As Joseph mentioned the other night, piti is also one of the factors of enlightenment and a way to get a glimpse of, or a way to understand how it feels is as he mentioned, if someone was on the desert for many days and it was just extremely hot and dry and was just very uncomfortable and then saw the sign or saw the oasis ahead, immediately his mind or her mind would just kind of brighten up and just get interested in what it was doing and would be even with that, it would have some sort of refreshment. Just, all right, we're getting there. It's some sort of satisfaction in what it's experiencing, even though the person is still in the desert, hot and dry. No water yet. Still find some interest and some joy in that. Actually, the body and the mind can get very elated when joy arises, it's very refreshed. And it actually is pervaded sometimes with very thrilling and chilling and mm, strange phenomena, actually, compared to our everyday normal reality. There are five grades or five different degrees of joy or piti. And some of you have been reporting some of these experiences. So I mention them, it's no secret. The first is something like a minor joy, and it's just when something happens and the skin just tingles, or it's just the hair stands on ends, there's just a kind of a shudder of something. It's a very minor joy, but it actually is a manifestation of piti. The second is a rather momentary, it's 
bigger than minor but not magnificent. It's momentary and it's like a flash in the mind, a flash of joy or a flash of lightning or some sort of jolt or when an airplane hits a pocket, an air pocket, and just jumps or when the elevator starts down, it's this feeling of, it's that type of experience that's also a manifestation of PT or joy. The third degree or the third type of PT is what's called showering joy. It just kind of comes and rolls over the mind and body again and again. And it just is tingling and thrilling and just arouses quite a lot of energy and it's very distinctive and unique experience for the yogi when they experience it. Sometimes the spine or will get very energized and very erect and just like super energy flowing through the body for a period of time. The fourth type of PT, your joy, is uplifting. It's very strong and it can, it's a mental factor that can spontaneously move the body in a very mature form, they say it can levitate the body, but some of some yogis may experience where their eyes are fluttering and blinking and their head is moving forwards and back and their spine is moving, their arms, legs are moving or they're bobbing and nodding. All sorts of involuntary, sort of spontaneous manifestations of extreme interest. This is the manifestation of joy. Sometimes it has the feeling of riding a roller coaster where you're just swooping and swooning and you seem or might feel like you're moving all over the place. You might be actually sitting completely still, but it feels like it's just thrilling and chilling and very exciting, actually. The fifth of the mature form of piti or joy is called pervading piti and it fills the body completely. There's no part of the body that isn't touched with this really blissful, delightful rapture that's so tingling and just enlivens the whole mind and body. It's as if you were filled up with helium or something. Very light and buoyant and just completely rapturous. So you can see if you were experiencing some joy, if your Vitaka Vichara was consistent and steady and you were experiencing some interest, some delight in the objects that you were observing and joy was arising, it would be absolutely impossible to have dosa in the mind. How could you dislike what you were experiencing when you're feeling such joy and lightness? when dosa or aversion is such a dry, heavy condition in the mind. So joy has the function of, or is manifestation of extreme interest or a zest, an obsession, a really great satisfaction in observing the primary and secondary objects. Or if you're doing metta, it's can manifest as a real heartfelt gushy mushy metta where you're just really into it and there's just no doubt that you're beaming loving kindness to whoever whatever group it can it can just feel so soupy good piti when you're doing metta you don't have to try to arouse joy you just have to try to see the object. Joy will come on its, by itself. The fourth hindrance, the fourth obstacle to concentration, you'll remember, was worry, agitation, restlessness. It's the mind that just isn't quiet, won't settle down, kind of caught up in the past and remembering the past kind of regretfully. I didn't do this, I should have done, I should have started meditation earlier. 
I shouldn't have done all those other non-meditative things that I did for so long or yesterday. It's just kind of hanging out in regret, remorse, agitation, restlessness, worry. Can't get to the object. Close, but just won't stay there. It's like the wind blowing the leaves over the lawn. The leaves get to the lawn, but then the wind blows and the leaves don't sit still. They just kind of go skimmering across the lawn and they don't stay anywhere. It's like a restless mind. Gets to the object, but just keeps skimming around and doesn't really stay there, doesn't really rest on the object. It's restless. The mind is restless. It's scattered. It buzzes about. Some of you are reporting restlessness, but I'll remind the others. It's when you don't want to sit. You just can't hold your posture for two minutes. You get in a posture and it's just... And the mind just won't settle down. It's just... And you can't get comfortable. You just won't be with it. Or during a walking period, you get up and you go for walking and you stop by for a tea and you're on your way to your walking spot and you decide to go to the toilet. And then you're on your way to your walking spot and you hit the bulletin board. And then you remember that you've got your yogi need thing and you go into the office and then maybe I'll go walk in the library, but I can't walk in the library. Ding, 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 time to go back to sit. Never really got to walking. This is restlessness. It's actually wandering. The mind wanders around. And if you're not careful, the body will wander with it. Sometimes restlessness is manifested because we try too hard. We have too much energy. We're just striving. We're just trying to get to that object. So much energy that we go beyond the object. We overshoot the object. The object is there waiting for us to get there, but we go flying by because we've got too much energy and it's not directed properly. This also is a manifestation of restlessness, or restlessness is manifested this way. A lot of thoughts, restlessness. If you want to stir up restlessness, talk. Or write, receive a note from somebody. That'll stir up. That's what restlessness is. Okay? I'm not suggesting it, but you'll recognize it when it happens. I used to live in a very remote place and we used to keep bees. And every so often you'd have to open up the beehive, check to see if there's any disease in the beehive, remove it or put in medicine, or sometimes you'd have to take off the top and put on another space for them to add more, to build more honey. When you take off the, as gentle as you can be, of course you do this very gently, you quietly approach the beehive. You very mindfully touch the cover, vitaka. You very gently lift the cover off, vichara. And immediately the bees get all stirred up. And they buzz around. They don't know just yet what's going on, whether their hive is being robbed. Not yet, but at the, in the fall it will be. And so they just buzz around the hive trying to protect it. This is restlessness. They don't land on the hive. Some of them land on me. <laughs> but they just buzz around, thousands of them. This is the mind. It's like the mind buzzing around. The object doesn't really stay still, land on it. The mental factor which directly opposes restlessness is called sukha. It's happy comfort of mind and body. It's bliss. It arises from the tranquility of being away from the hindrances. Vitaka vichara gives rise to piti joy, the third jhana factor, and sukha, bliss, the fourth jhana factor. Actually, PT is a precursor, it's a forerunner for sukha. When PT gets very mature, 
very subtle, very pervasive, then this real comfort, the body just gets blissy. The mind gets really blissy. And it's just so soft and so pleasant and so comfortable. You cannot find a pain in the body. And the mind certainly is just like floating on clouds. You can't try to develop this. It comes when your vitaka vichara is right and ripe. <clears throat> this sukha is extremely subtle and it is extremely sweet. It's, it's, it's the best feeling you'll ever feel in this body, in any body, actually. It is far better than any sensuous pleasure you have ever experienced. And we've all experienced a lot, haven't we? Sukha is better. <laughs> Sounds like a laugh of recognition. <laughs> the mind and the body are just absolutely okay. Nothing. There's not a ripple of discontent in any of your experience. This is how happy and joy, not joyful, how happy and subtly sweet, blissful you can get. How can you worry if you're feeling that? How can you have remorse over having done something or not having done something? Or restlessness? Can't have it. It's as if you're just sitting on a cloud or just riding on the flying, actually. Just so soft, fluffy, very fluffy. It has the function of enhancing the other mental factors or of intensifying the other mental factors. Some yogis, you know, when you go to eat, it's a not to, it's just food, you know. I mean, it's food like we eat, we've been eating for six or seven weeks. But when your mind gets a taste of the sukha, plain rice is heavenly. It's just the most exquisite food you've ever eaten. This is the function of bliss in the mind. It just enhances everything. But I should remind you that this sukha does not arise from sensual objects, sensual pleasures. It arises because the mind sees these objects and does not indulge in them. It sees the rising, falling, sitting, touching, pain, lifting, moving, placing. It sees these things without indulging in pleasantness or aversion to them. Just sees them clearly. That seclusion from the hindrances gives rise to this happiness, this bliss. When you're feeling this bliss, you cannot have any flurry, hurry, worry, restlessness, anxiety in the mind. And this Happiness of mind and body is the cause of the fifth jhana factor, or it causes the mind to become concentrated. But first I'll mention the fifth hindrance, or the obstacle to developing deep absorption or concentrated mind. And that is loba, desire, wanting, greediness, neediness, the burning of just not being satisfied, wanting one more cupcake yesterday or the day before. It's that agitation that just won't settle down, just wants 
wants. That's what it is. It's wanting in the mind. It's the wanting mind. It's wanting something other than what exists. It wants the sitting to end quicker than 60 minutes. It wants a little more dessert. It can want many things. It can want pleasant experiences. Maybe you'll want some of this bliss. Wanting. This is the wanting mind. It's a hindrance. It disturbs the mind. It prevents the arising of these mental factors. It's a clingingness or a stickiness in the mind. It's like contact cement or Velcro. You put two pieces of Velcro together, they stick. The mind sticking to objects is greed or loba, attachment. Greed has the function of seducing the mind to participate in this object, whatever it is, whether it's food or the sunset or looking at someone or listening to something. When greed is in the mind, it seduces the mindfulness to go to that object and indulge it indulge in it or with it. As long as one cannot give up that object, just see it for what it is. It's just an object. It's seeing, hearing, whatever it is. As long as you can't give it up, you're stuck to it. This is the stickiness of loba. When you're sitting and you feel uncomfortable, there can often arise in the mind the desire for, or an idea of, sitting without this discomfort. And the mind sticks to that idea. If I just shifted my posture a little bit, I wouldn't have it. And the mind just, even though you haven't shifted yet, the mind hangs on to that idea, that belief, that wanting, not to experience this discomfort. And if you can't let go of that idea, greed or desire is in the mind. If you note it, okay. And if you have the intention to move and you note that, okay. And if you then move, that's okay. You're still with the object. But it's the feeling of this stickiness, wanting something that doesn't currently exist. The fifth jhana factor, the fifth factor of mind, which directly opposes this greed or this stickiness, is concentration, one-pointedness of mind. It arises from the vitaka vichara piti sukha, when the mind is on the object sustainedly and joy rises, the joy when it's mature gives rise to this happy comfort of mind and body. When you're that happy, you're perfectly satisfied with whatever object is arising. You don't want to go to any other object. Couldn't care less. Can't give it a thought. You're perfectly happy with whatever's arising. The mind, all of the mind, all of the factors of mind, go into that object and stay there for its duration. This is concentration of mind. It's called ekegata. Eka means one, aga means point, kata means gone to. The mind has gone to one point, one object, and it stays there. It's like the mind becoming a searchlight, a spotlight. It has a very narrow focus and it stays on one object. When you go to a concert, whether it's the Boston Philharmonic or the Grateful Dead, Sometimes there's just one person on stage lit up. They're spotlit. Spotlight? The spotlight's on them. That's what the mind does to the object when it gets concentrated. All the other things going on in the body and mind are out of sight, out of light. The one object you want is got the light on it. The mind is deeply and completely, fully with that one object. 
This concentration of mind has the function of pulling all of the factors of mind together. All of them, all of the necessary and all of the um, attendant mental factors go into the object. It's like when you're making cake or making bread. You mix all the dry ingredients together. You mix all the wet ingredients together. And then you mix the two. The wet holds all of the dry ingredients together. The flour, sugar, baking soda. It's been a long time since I made bread. I can't remember what else goes in it. But all of the dry ingredients are kind of fluffy and will fly away until they get mixed with the wet ingredients. The factors of mind are kind of fluffy and will fly away until they get mixed by, pulled together by, this concentration of mind. When the mind is one-pointed, it stays with the currently arising object. It doesn't jump around from object to object. As you go deeply into one object, or as all of your mind stays with one object, it sees the object clearly, and it sees more of the object. Some people come and they report the rising as movement. This is good. Some people come and they report the rising as this, 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 and this. Because they are concentrated and they have knowledge, extensive knowledge of that one object. In the lifting, two seconds long of walking meditation, there are innumerable objects to be observed. If you're concentrated, you'll see them. Lots of things happening in the leg. I have to wrap up this talk. It's nearly time. So the five factors that directly oppose the hindrances are vitaka, the initial application of the mind to the object, vichara, the sustaining of the mind on the object. When these two are developed, they give rise to great joy. You find interest in the object, and joy arises. When joy becomes mature, happiness of mind and body arises, great tranquility and bliss. This allows you to be happy with the object you're with. And you become very concentrated and one-pointed, not wishing to go to any other object. These factors banish the hindrances from your mind. If you're practicing vipassana, when you get concentrated, you see more of each object. And as I said in the beginning, if you see the object clearly, if you see the unique individual characteristic of the rising, the falling, the lifting, moving, placing, and secondary objects as and when they arise. That's all you need to see. Everything that they talk about as far as wisdom and enlightenment and understanding and knowledge and jnanas and all those things comes directly from knowing the rising as it is. Not thinking about anything. Concentrated mind brings you this wisdom, this knowledge. If you're practicing metta and you develop these jhana factors, these factors of jhana, it's not jhana just to experience them. Jhana is something else. But you're developing the factors that will take you to, or when mature, may result in your attaining to jhana. And if you develop them highly enough, you can attain higher jhanas. In both instances, the effort needed is to aim your mind to the object and to hold it there. Vitaka and vichara. So let's sit and develop our factors.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.